that you'll bring the victory. I was listening to a devotional this week, and the man said this, how can we expect God to do anything if we won't give what we have need of to him? Kind of a different way of saying you have not because you ask not. So this morning, I want you to simply, if you have a need of any kind, of any size, I want you to just give it to Jesus this morning. You can do that by way of an uplifted hand. You can just say that to him, Lord, I'm giving you this situation. And I promise you, God will hear. And I promise you, he's already more concerned about that need than you will ever be. That's just who he is. I want to remember the Parmenter family this week, especially Colleen and her sisters. Get ready to lay her mom and her brother to rest on Saturday. Just pray that for the surrounding presence of the Holy Spirit to guide, to comfort. Continue to pray for Jeremy's sister, Courtney. Of course, yesterday we laid Marie's daughter to rest. Beautiful service for Karen. Pray for Marie. I was very concerned about Marie yesterday. I know I know it's got to be so difficult for her, and, and she just didn't look like Marie normally looks. And so I, I want us to really pray for Marie this week, that the Lord will give her strength. Man, it's good to see my buddy Kenny Keith here with us this morning. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see Kenny last Sunday night, and while I'm on that topic... If you missed last Sunday evening in the choir that was here, let me tell you what, you missed a blessing. They were amazing. And the ministry that came forth out of them was just unbelievable. And so next year when they come, and I can promise you they're going to come next year, put that on your calendar to be here. Back to prayer requests. You know what? I got a phone call on Thursday. Beverly Olson, is Beverly back there this morning? She's not. Beverly got down there to have the biopsy done. The doctor said, I've looked at this. There's no cancer. There's no cancer. There's no need of doing any further testing. <laughs> I believe God touched her. I believe that. It was so good to hear her voice, so excited, so thrilled. Nothing further is needed. Continue to pray for Leonard's sister, Karen. She continues to battle cancer we still need rain wasn't it good last Sunday evening to walk out these doors and smell rain in the air it's coming folks it's coming both physical rain and spiritual rain is coming to this congregation I believe that with all of my heart we're going to feel seasons of refreshing from the throne of God but pray for that physical rain Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that each and every one of us have times when we can look back on in our lives when we have so much to be thankful for. Times when we know beyond the shadow of doubt that you heard our prayer and that you answered in just the way the prayer needed to be answered. Lord, you've heard each of these requests mentioned this morning. I'm sure that there are needs, and I've asked this congregation, Lord, to give those to you this morning. Just to either tell you, Lord, this is my need, it's yours. Share this burden. Or by uplifted hand, God, whatever it is, you know the need. 
You're even aware of needs that we can't even imagine yet. We ask for those needs as well. But God, we, we come to you this morning and we come to you in faith. And we give you those situations that we were never, ever designed to carry as burdens on our own. You want to be our burden bearer. And so this morning, dear Jesus, we just give you all of those things that are of concerning nature to us. And God, we believe in faith that you not only hear us, but that you're going to answer us and that you will answer us well. Because you do all things well. You make no mistakes. And God, we profess that to you this morning, that we know that you are a God that cannot and will not fail. And we, because of that, thank you in advance for hearing and answering our prayers. Be with us, Lord, this morning in the furtherance of this service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you're seated, really good crowd here this morning. Good to see you. I know that there are going to be some friends of ours who are here this morning that are not going to be here on Easter Sunday. So we have to fill in their, their place, okay? How many of you have a friend that is unchurched? Oh, come on, folks. You have friends that don't have a church somewhere. Next Sunday... Next Sunday, I think you could send an invitation to the devil and he would come to church. It's Easter Sunday. But if you have an unchurched friend, invite them. Because I guarantee you, they're going to hear the gospel next week. They're going to hear the good news. And I'd like to see this place filled with people anxious to hear the good news of Jesus being alive. Amen? Amen. So keep that in mind, invite a friend, but for now, just shake hands with the one next to you. Would you do that, please? you back up when I'm ready.
As you find your way to your seat, if you would take your Bible or your Bible app on your phone and go with me to John chapter number 11. John chapter number 11. It is really good to see you here this morning. Thank you for being here. It's Palm Sunday, the beginning of Passion Week, and I'm always so excited about the opportunity to to preach on Easter Sunday, so I can hardly wait till next Sunday. John chapter number 11. I'm going to read just bits and pieces of John chapter 11 for you, and uh, then I'll elaborate a little bit more on the entire story as I go along. It says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now go with me down to verse number 11. Jesus had made a statement to them that if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. And he said this. And then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then verse number 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Lord Jesus, this is the beginning of an amazing story of an amazing week. And God, as we sang that song a moment ago, how you bring dead things to life. We're going to see the application of that in this wonderful story. The story that takes place just before you rode into the city of Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. And this story is really the beginning of what becomes the greatest week in our lives because Lord over the course of the next week in this scripture passage we find victory over sin victory over death and victory over the grave so God anoint our ears and our hearts to listen this morning and to understand that you bring life wherever you go in Jesus name Amen. They were friends, friends who spent time together, friends who appreciated each other, friends who loved opportunities to get together. That's really what friendships are all about, isn't it? And the Bible says that they loved one another so much that when one of them suffered, all of them suffered. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus, they were friends. 
So when Mary and Martha's brother suddenly took ill, because they were friends, they sent for their friend Jesus, because they had watched him over the past some three and a half years find people who were desperately ill or people who were desperately in need with a need of one type or another and bring healing to their situation. And so it was quite natural for them when their brother took what apparently was a grave illness upon himself that they would send for Jesus because they knew that Jesus would care and they knew that Jesus had the ability to make Lazarus well. They believed that Jesus had the power to heal. So they sent word to him, begging him to come and help this one whom he loved. And as our text relates this story, when Jesus finally came, it seemed to Mary and to Martha and to their friends who were now grieving with them because Lazarus had already died, that Jesus hadn't come soon enough. Our scripture tells us that Lazarus had been dead for four days and in the tomb when Jesus arrived. And so these sisters say in unison, although at different times, the same words, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Now, that's quite a statement. And I believe that we, along with them, we want to believe that to be true. Or that if Jesus had just come four days earlier, Lazarus would still be with them. Jesus, if you had just, if you'd just come when we sent for you, it, it, it could have, it could have just been, if you could have just been in the room when Lazarus was so sick, Jesus, everything would have been okay. And of course, we know that Jesus could have cured Lazarus before death overtook him. But to think that Jesus automatically heals whenever one of his loved ones calls out for him to do that, uh, well, we've found out that's not always true, haven't we? Ask Murray Skinner. Ask Belinda. Ask Blackie. Doesn't always work out the way that we want it to. I think there's many of us in this room this morning that we could ask anyone here who has experienced someone dying that they loved and say, well, did you pray for that loved one? Well, yeah. But it didn't end the way that I wanted it to. So when Jesus hears these words from Mary and Martha upon his arrival, Lord, if he'd just been here, if you'd only been here. And when he sees their tears and, and, and those of the mourners who've gathered with them to grieve, I want you to see this because there are times when we need to see Jesus in this light. When he noticed all of that, he was not so much godlike. He was more like we are. He was touched. He was moved by their pain, by their grief, by the, their sadness, by their hurt. Yeah, what they were hurt. Lord, if you'd just been here. 
this wouldn't happen. And that touches Jesus in a very human way. His first reaction, if you read through this passage in its entirety, is that he was deeply moved. And in fact, when he saw the grief in their hearts, and when he realized their loss as well as one of his friends, he wanted them to know that even he, as God in the flesh, felt their same loss. And it moved him to my favorite verse in the Bible, in verse number 35. It's the first one I memorized in Sunday school. Jesus wept. Wish they were all that easy to memorize. But Jesus wept. Now, we read it in, in verse number 33. We see it in verse number 35. We see it in verse 38, and I'm obviously not reading all of these for you. But what we see there is that the Holy Spirit who inspired John to write about this story wants to make it absolutely clear to us this morning and to everyone who would read it down through the years that Jesus can be deeply moved in spirit. He can be troubled just like we are. He weeps just like we do. And it grieved his soul at what they were experiencing. These verses tell us and describe for us what is a very human side of Jesus. Who now finds himself mourning along with his friends. But in the midst of his weeping, however, Jesus decides, he, in fact he decided days before, that he was going to use Lazarus' death as an opportunity to illustrate his power over death, his power over the grave. And this was the very reason, in fact, that he delayed his coming to his friend's house prior to him dying. He wanted to show his disciples, all of his followers, that Lazarus' sickness would not end in death. But would be an opportunity to bring glory to God, glory to God the Father, and to himself. His mission was to restore life to the one who had passed. And he asks to be taken to Lazarus' tomb. And once there, we see that Jesus prays to his father, gives the command to roll the stone away from Lazarus' tomb, and then commands Lazarus to come out. And he does. He walks out, enshrined in linen gravecloths, alive, because Jesus has power over death in the grave. Leaving death for life. Life restored. Life returned. Life resurrected. Perhaps you've never thought of this story of Lazarus being raised from the dead in the terms that I'm going to describe to you this morning. But Jesus had commanded Lazarus to leave death, to leave the tomb behind, in order that there be room for Jesus himself to enter death and another tomb in a very short period of time. So just keep that thought as I go through this message this morning. You see, Jesus knows that 
this most incredible of all of his miracles, raising the dead, seals the deal for him, at least with the religious ruling body in Jerusalem. He knows that this is the ultimate thing that they are going to react to, and it's not going to be a good reaction. He is as good as dead now that he has raised Lazarus from the dead. They've been finding, looking for a reason to kill him. And now because he's raised Lazarus from the dead, they know that there's going to be a great number of people flock to Jesus. And they just can't have that happen. So Jesus knows with this act, with this miracle, I'm basically signing my own death warrant. Now, I'm sure that nobody around Jesus realized that or even wanted to hear that. But friends, Jesus is thinking on a different level than what we would think humanly speaking. Jesus knows that the very reason that he came to this earth was for what was getting ready to happen in this next week. He knows that the very reason God sent him from heaven was for what was getting ready to take place in just a few days, on a mountain called Golgotha. He knows that his purpose is to die. He knows that evil men, religious people, are going to put him to death because they are jealous. They want to see every trace of Jesus and his influence wiped out. He knows that. But what they don't know is that in doing that, they are accomplishing what God sent him to do. I just love the way God works. He takes what men meant for evil and turns it for good. That's the God we serve. So he says, loose him and let him go. Take him out of those grave clothes. Um, life's restored. Jesus is soon going to find his place where Lazarus had just been. Dead and enshrined in a tomb. They're, the religious leaders are ready to pounce on this opportunity. This has been their desire. This has been their ambition all along. But now it's clear they're determined that Jesus has to die. Now I wish that John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would have given us a few more details about what happened when Lazarus walked out of that tomb. Anybody else? I, I would like to have known the responses. I'm wanting to know if Mary and Matt, Martha fainted. <laughs> I mean, who's ever experienced this before? Did Martha, who was constantly worried about social etiquette and social graces, did, did she decide to throw a party? When Lazarus walked out of that tomb. Did Jesus smile? Did he raise his hands in triumph? And did he turn to his disciples and give them a high five and say, See, I told you. Or did Jesus just kind of fade away, letting the mourners celebrate this amazing miracle? We don't know. But what we do know happens in chapter 12 if you go there with me please six days before the passover 
Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for Jesus there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of fragrant oil, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair so the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Jesus, and what the scriptures doesn't say, Jesus, knowing Judas' thoughts, answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Talking about a gathering a few days later, following Lazarus' resurrection. The crowds had left Lazarus' tomb, and I'm sure it had to have been Martha who had planned this gathering to thank Jesus for what he had done. We're told that Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Judas and quite likely the other disciples were there. She was making dinner, uh, having a dinner party thrown with the purpose of saying, thanks, Jesus, we want to honor you. It's not an opportunity for Mary and Martha to say thank you to the one who had given life back to their brother. As I said, the mourners, the crowds were all gone. Reporters were on to the next big news story. And it was just them, alone in a house at evening with an opportunity for them to express thanks. Now, before I jump into how Mary and Martha and Lazarus express their thankfulness to Jesus, let me simply poise a question to each of us here this morning. How have you expressed your thankfulness to God? Now, I want you to notice something. I'm not asking if you have expressed your thankfulness to God. I'm asking, I'm not asking when was the last time you expressed your thankfulness to God. I'm asking how do you express thankfulness to God? How many of you have something to be thankful to God for? Almost every hand in the room. Okay, so knowing that, how do you express thankfulness to God. Um, as I was preparing this this last week, and again, the title of the message is Being Shaped by Grace, and all of us are being shaped by grace every day of our lives that we walk with Jesus in one way or another. But as I was putting this together, you all know how crazy I am about those two grandsons of mine in California. But perhaps you don't know much about their story. And without going into a lot of detail, I want to just say to you that those two oldest boys, now 19 and getting ready to turn 17, when they were a little bit over three and a little bit over a year old, 
their mom left them with their dad. We were in the process of moving to Wichita from Salina, where their dad was a police officer, and where Brenda, out of necessity, had to take on the role of caring for those little boys. And feeling somewhat alone and isolated, as I said, we were moving to Wichita, getting ready to move to Wichita, and their dad became started feeling somewhat isolated and alone, and so he decided to move where he had family that could provide support to him and to his boys. However, that place that he decided to move was to Los Angeles, California. And we were devastated. We were concerned not only that we would not be able to, to see them regularly, but that they were going to grow up in a place much unlike Salina, Kansas. Uh, we were concerned that, apart, and this is all apart from the emotional pain that we were enduring, which they too were enduring because we were so close, we were concerned about their future. I mean, my goodness, Los Angeles, California, are you kidding me? If I could move anywhere in the United States... I can promise you that the very last city on that list would be Los Angeles, California. We were concerned about what school they would eventually go to. We were concerned whether their dad would remarry, and if so, what kind of woman would their stepmother be? We were concerned if they would all remain in church. And let me just say to you, their dad was and still is like a son to me. We have a great relationship. So our concern was not only for the boys, but it was for, for young as well. And we wanted to know, are they going to remain in church? Are they going to be taught values? Are they going to be taught godly morals? Are they going to be instilled with proper manners? Let me share with you how our concerns were met by God shaping them with grace. First of all, as you know, we've been able to maintain a very close relationship with them, albeit one that has been limited by miles, available airline flights, when their baseball season was going or when it wasn't, and pretty much limited to vacations either bringing them here or us going there twice a year and we've gone to great lengths financially and otherwise to ensure that those visits with those two boys have taken place every year twice a year since 2004 god's at work though their dad remarried a wonderful wonderful lady who loves those boys as if they were her own they bought a home in one of the <laughs> they bought a home in one of the best school districts in Los Angeles in Anaheim uh, a, a very different school than most of the public schools there in California particularly in the Los Angeles area they're now solidly entrenched in a great church 
And the best part is that they've been raised with great values and great morals. And when they come to see us, it never fails that we are blown away by those boys' manners. Now, I'm not just saying this because they're my grandsons. What I'm getting ready to share with you, I believe, is God answering our prayers, God shaping their lives by His grace. There's not a meal goes by or a fast food drive through at McDonald's without both of them telling Grandma Brenda, thank you, Grandma, for cooking the meal. Or thank you, Grandpa, for the cheeseburgers and or the breakfast burritos. Not a meal. They do it every time. And some of our friends from Wichita went to New York City with us and we took our boys there, I believe it was in 2010, Our friends nearly fell off their chairs when those boys would repeatedly thank them and thank us for all the things that we got to do and all of the things that we got to see while in New York City. Why am I sharing this with you? As I said, I was reminded of this when I put this message together, but here's the the question again. How have you expressed your thankfulness to your God? Those boys express thankfulness for almost everything. And friends, my whole point in this is this. If those young people can express thanks, us adults ought to be able to. We we ought to be able to openly and honestly and sincerely express thankfulness to God whenever we have an opportunity. Our text tells us first how Martha demonstrates her gratefulness for bringing Lazarus back to life. In verse 2, we read that the words of John, they gave a dinner for Jesus there in Bethany at their home. And Martha, bless her heart, her gift is serving. And Martha was serving those gathered at her house. And here... John uses the imperfect tense, which means that Martha's serving was a continual action. Martha didn't just put out some finger foods, snacks, and call it good. I don't believe that she called curbside to go at Applebee's and ordered some buffalo wings and chips and salsa. I don't think she made a quick trip to Sam's to get a lasagna and a bag of salad to pour in a bowl. I believe, knowing a little bit about Martha from other passages of Scripture, that Martha is a little bit of Martha Stewart, Rachel Ray, and Graham Kerr all rolled into one. And here's what I mean by that. I'm guessing she put some lamb on a spit. And shaved it off as it roasted and put it into shawarmas. Have any of you ever had a shawarma? Oh my goodness. In 1995, on November the 9th, I had my first shawarma. That's how memorable it was. And I had another one on the 10th, on the 11th, and on the 12th. If you've never had a lamb shawarma... Find a good Jewish place and get you a lamb shawarma. I'm guessing that's what Martha served that day. 
I'm guessing she had a salad with all the wonderful ingredients that you find on an on a Jewish salad bar, breads that covered the entire kitchen counter, and I'll bet she worked all afternoon preparing those delicious rugula for dessert. If you've never had one of those, you need one of those too. Martha served. In fact, she continually served because she knew that her debt was big. Because she was so indebted to Jesus, she was committed to serve for as long as it took to express her thankfulness to Jesus. Oh, and then we come to dear old Lazarus. Bless his heart, he's just been resurrected from the dead. They ought to give him a break. But it says Lazarus sat. Did you catch that? Lazarus sat. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with Jesus. Now, without even saying so, and without me asking, I know what some of you ladies are already thinking. You're thinking, well, what do you expect from a guy? Guys sit while ladies serve, right? How many of you say amen to that? Well, that's not the point of my message. That is a fair assessment, but on this particular day, I don't think Martha even cared what Lazarus was doing. I've got to believe that she was thrilled just to have her brother sitting in her house again. So Lazarus sat, grateful to Jesus for the life that had been restored to him. He sat, thankful to Jesus for the opportunity for more of life. He sat, filled with such deep gratitude that all he wanted to do, now catch this, All that Lazarus apparently wanted to do was to sit in the presence of Jesus. (laughs) Just to sit in his presence, the giver of life, the creator of all that is. He just wanted to sit there. I can't pass that up without asking this question. Is it possible that we too from time to time, need to express our honor and our thankfulness to our God, just like Lazarus, and just sit in the presence of Jesus. You know, we become such a, what do I want to say? We we become a society that has to have something going all the time. I mean, we we have to have worship music going while we're praying. Or or we have to have worship music going while we're studying the Bible. Man, sometimes, not that Belinda's talkative when we're both in the office, but I love my Fridays. Don't, please don't take offense to that, Belinda. That's not what I mean at all. But Fridays are a great day in my office because I'm finishing touches on the message for Sunday. I'm prayerfully seeking God. God, hey, give me your words. The phone isn't ringing. Nobody's around. And it's just me and God. Wow. I treasure those moments. When I went to work in the prison system in 2002, again, for those of you that don't know me, I was there voluntarily. (laughs) 
When, when I went to work in the prison system, the best part of my day was the 40 miles that I would drive from Salina to Ellsworth. Because I was so out of my comfort zone, I had to have communion with Jesus before I walked through those gates. The second best time was the 40 miles going home. But again, it was just spent with Jesus. And the things that Jesus spoke to me during those rides, I can't even begin to enumerate to you. But sometimes, friends, it's just good to do as Lazarus did and just sit in the presence of Jesus. We'll take the time to do that. And just be still for a moment. Slow down a little bit and realize how faithful God has been. And then we come to Mary. Martha served. Lazarus sat. And Mary sacrificed. In the midst of this scene of thankfulness and gratitude comes the other sister. And as I am envisioning this situation, I can almost see Mary excusing herself from the others. She leaves the room for a moment, and when she returns, she comes carrying a pint of pure and expensive nard, which to us doesn't mean a thing, so John helps us. He tells us that the fragrance from this expensive perfume filled the room and the fragrance was overwhelming. And then he tells us what Mary does with the perfume. And in what she does, I find three absolutely remarkable things. Verse 3 tells us that she first loosens her hair in public and lets it down. Now, can I just say to you that for a woman in Jesus' day, in that culture, that was an absolute no-no. She didn't care what people thought. She had a purpose in letting her hair down, and we will find it in just a moment. She then takes this perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet rather than on his head. This signified her humility and the love which she had for Jesus and all that he had done. And then she takes and wipes his feet with her hair that's been let down, an act of sacrificial love, one in which Mary, again, sacrifices her reputation for no respectable woman in Palestine would ever appear in public with her hair let down, let alone take her hair and wash stinky feet that had been traveling on dusty roads. Mary just laid it all out there. Jesus, I'm not holding anything back. Everything I am, everything that you've made me to be, God is yours. And I worship you with the very best that I've got. The Bible tells us that she poured out perfume that was worth in that culture, in that day, a year's worth of salary. She's in essence 
pouring out her W-2 form on his feet. Not his head, but on Jesus' feet. And then in wiping his feet with her loosened hair, she speaks of the love she has for him. The deep humility that she's doing it in. And her freedom from self-consciousness. What do I mean by that? I'm saying she didn't care what anybody else thought. She was going to worship Jesus in the way that Jesus created Mary to worship Jesus. And it didn't matter what other people thought. She was going to worship him. Friends, that's what worship is. Not when you do what everybody else is doing or not when you are conscious that you are doing something that no one else is doing. It's just when you pour yourself out. Jesus, here I am. It may not be much, but it's everything I have. And she poured it out to him in worship. Now, here's my point in sharing all of that with you. In these three expressions of thankfulness to Jesus, I believe we find one common theme. Martha who served, Lazarus who sat in his presence, and Mary who sacrificed had each been people who over the course of whatever period of time that they might have known Jesus had been shaped by his grace. Their responses were out of what his grace had brought to their lives. Grace. That enormous free gift from God given by God to any and all that are willing to receive it in order that they might become more fully alive in Him. Friends, those to whom God's grace has been lavishly poured I believe are those from whom thankfulness has to grow. Let me say that again. Those to whom God's grace has been lavishly given are those in whom thankfulness must grow. The reason I say that is because the most thankful people that I know are those who have recognized who they were and who they now are as a result of God's grace. Are you thankful for that? Are you thankful you're not the same person you were before you came to Jesus? That's because of grace. And your life has been shaped by grace. Those most able to be grateful are those who have counted their blessings, as that old song says, one by one. See what God has done. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus realized that Jesus had been gracious to them, and they chose to respond in thankfulness because they had been shaped by God's grace And contrary to their reaction, Judas had not been shaped by God's grace. Not him. He hadn't sat down to realize what Jesus had done when Jesus invited him to be one of his disciples. Verses 4 and 5 tell us that that when Mary took and blessed and broke and poured out that perfume on Jesus, when she had sacrificially expressed her gratefulness to Jesus for healing her brother, Judas reacts, and not in a good way. He went so far as to say out loud, 
Why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii and the proceeds given to the poor? Listen very carefully, folks. I don't want you to think ill of me when I say what I'm getting ready to say. But what Judah said could make sense if you're looking at it from a human, literal point of view. But it won't make sense if you've been touched and shaped by God's grace. That was the difference. Mary's gratefulness caused her to only see Jesus and to honor and reserve her worship for him only. Jesus' grace had touched her so deeply that she could see only him. And Jesus said, knowing Judas' thoughts, leave her alone. Leave her alone. She's kept this for the day of my burial, for you always have the poor with you, but me, you won't always have. What do I read into that? Simply this, as the worship team comes. Jesus is saying to be like Mary and act now. Act now. He was letting everyone know without saying so in so many words, soon I'm going to be in a tomb just like Lazarus was. While I'm still here, you need to respond now. I'm guessing that no one in that home that evening realized that the very next day, Jesus is going to be entering the city of Jerusalem for the very last time and he was going to arrive there humbly on the back of a donkey's colt and multitudes of people who were ready to make Jesus their earthly king were going to welcome him with palm branches and shouts of Hosanna, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I also doubt that not very many in that multitude on that Palm Sunday those that we call Jesus followers realize that within the course of that very week Jesus the one that they followed is going to be crucified on a cross like a common criminal and buried in a tomb very similar to that of Lazarus when Jesus came into their home here's what Mary did Mary seized the opportunity to worship him while she had the opportunity she acted generously she acted lavishly and now just give me your ear for a couple of moments because I changed the message that I was planning on preaching today in this series as a result of the fact that here in this church we've had a lot of illness and just recently we've been touched in many ways by death it's hit our church hard and and because of that the immediacy of this particular text from John 11 and 12 to me is striking Many in our church have had to deal with death in a very harsh way in recent days. And what I'm here to tell them and to tell every one of us this morning is this. Only a relationship with Jesus 
can allow us, Colleen, to face such times <laughs> with thoughts of thankfulness and gratitude. You say, well, Pastor, that sounds kind of strange. Experiencing death and being thankful and having gratitude. Let me tell you what, friends. When a loved one who knows Jesus dies, even when they're on their deathbed, what I have found is that thoughts of thankfulness and gratitude tend to rise to the surface, making it easy for us to forget the pain, easy for us to deal with the pain, and rather be grateful for all the good things that we experience with that loved one. We're now seven days away from Easter. And on Easter Sunday morning, we celebrate the power of God to conquer death. So we don't have to worry about entering a dark grave. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm not worried about it. I share with you next Sunday. When I, when I stand over the, the grave of someone that I know that knew Jesus, that's where their earthly remains are. The best part of him, the best part of them, excuse me, is with Jesus. That's the hope. That's the future. That God's grace shapes in each and every one of us. And I said we're a week away from Easter where we celebrate the power of God to conquer death so that we don't have to enter the grave. And it's easy for many of us who have experienced many Easter's to just live the next seven days as life as it normally is. Life as usual. I want to caution you today. Don't let that happen. You can't. You mustn't. Because Jesus has brought many of you out of darkness into glorious light. Oh, friends. <laughs> we have new life. We're not who we used to be. We can take off the grave clothes because we now live. We are alive in Christ. We've exchanged grave clothes for a robe of righteousness. I'd like for you to stand. We're getting ready to come to the table of communion as we sing a couple of more songs of worship. This may sound a little strange, but this morning, I'm not going to excuse you from the table where we're going to share communion together. Not until each one of us have said to Jesus that for which we're grateful. Did you catch that? We're, we're going to come to this table. And it's not going to be like every other communion. Or for some of you, it may be. I hope it is. When you come to this table, you express that for which you are grateful to Jesus for. Then I want every one of us to do that. Jesus and the grace which he offers to us has, is, and is going to continue to shape us.
each and every one of us. And we'll be blessed. And He'll be blessed. When we recognize that and respond to it. As did Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus told His disciples, I have looked forward to sharing this last meal with you. They had no idea what the rest of that evening hurt, uh, held. But Jesus took that cup and he took that piece of bread and he shared it with them and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. They still had no clue what he was talking about. Oh, but in three days, friends, they were going to figure it out. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until I come again. As the worship team begins to sing for us this morning, I want to invite you you don't have to be a part of the Trinity Faith Congregation to celebrate communion. You just have to be a part of the family of God. If Jesus is your Savior, we invite you to join us. There are communion stations, two at the back, two at the side. Anytime during the course of the worship that we're getting ready to enter into, that you feel so led, go and celebrate together. Let me pray over it in advance. Lord Jesus, thank you that you bring dead things to life. Thank you, Lord, that you took my soul, the soul of many others in this room that were dead to sin and gave us new life in Christ. And Lord, you accomplished that by shedding your blood on a cruel cross dying a horrific death being forsaken by your heavenly father so that we might have life but because of your sinless and perfect life death could not hold you and three days later you came out of that tomb alive and victorious over death and hell and the grave and you share that victory with everyone who believes in that saving work for that this morning dear Jesus we are grateful be with us as we share this cup together in Jesus